Welcome to Intuitive Eating for Christian Women. I'm your co-host, Erin Todd. I'm a writer and an intuitive eater. And I'm your co-host, Charlie Castle, registered dietitian and exercise physiologist. We're here to help you discover whole health for your mind, body, and soul. That's right. Our goal is to embody scripture, ditch dieting, and live on purpose. Woo! Woo! Yes, girl. Today, our guest on the Intuitive Eating for Christian Women podcast is Tina Yeager. Tina's going to share about recognizing the difference between shame and conviction, eating disorder recovery, and so much more. Tina is an award-winning author and inspirational speaker and life coach. She hosts the Flourishment podcast and publishes Inspirations Online, a weekly devotional for writers. Licensed as a counselor since 2005, she has over 20 years of experience teaching adults, teens, and children in academic, clinical, and faith-based settings. For life coaching tips or to book her as an event speaker, check out her website, tinayeager.com, and also check out her book, Beautiful Warrior, Finding Victory Over the Lies Formed Against You, which helps women identify and fulfill their potential as they discover Christ-centered significance. Before we jump into this conversation with Tina, as a reminder for all of our podcast episodes, this program is for informational and educational purposes only, and it is not a substitute for individual medical or mental health advice. Our aim is to introduce you to the principles of intuitive eating and help you to see how those principles align with scripture so you can improve your relationship with food, your body, and God, and cast out dieting for good. Okay, welcome, Tina. We're so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you, Erin and Charlie. I'm so honored to be here and excited to talk about this with you and your listeners today. So can you just give us a little glimpse into your God story? Did you grow up in church? Where did where did it start for you? I actually grew up in church and I grew up kind of knowing Jesus from a very, very young age. I remember walking with him and holding his hand as a really small child and talking with him intimately in conversation and listening for him. And um, I remember even when I stole my parents' little thing of pennies, I felt super convicted and I knelt by my bed and I just prayed for forgiveness and I put it back before they even knew it was gone. So I actually knew Jesus. In fact, he was my only friend when I was growing up. I didn't have a lot of human friends. I felt very isolated and alone and like I didn't belong among other people. So I really relied upon him for companionship. Um, but needing friendship and seeking human approval kind of started to lead me in the wrong direction, unfortunately. So I started to, instead of letting that be enough and letting friendships form where he gave them to me, I started really seeking approval from other people and seeking to have significance and worth in things that were outside of my relationship with Christ. And I feel like I should have known better since I already had a relationship with God. But for those who grow up in the church, sometimes even though you know better, doesn't mean you do what you should when you know better. And it doesn't mean you stay on the right path when you do know what that right path should look like from the onset. It's easy to get drawn into other things and to follow that instead of getting corrected quickly before you go too far. So I started really having issues with seeking worth and significance and and meaning and wanting to be likable. I felt as though I wasn't good enough. I wasn't likable. Other people didn't like me for a reason, but they seemed to like each other and there must be something inherently wrong with me. And I thought if I could just waste away, if I could just be thinner, if I could just be smaller, if I could just be less, then at least they would let me hang out. At least they would let me kind of fade into the background and be near them. And they wouldn't be as likely to reject me if I just took up less space or something. And I thought if I could just look the part and then maybe they could somehow accept at least the surface of who I was and, and that might be the best I could do. I didn't feel like people would ever like me for who I was. And I had forgotten to see that when God makes each of us, he makes us with inherent significance because we're made in his image. 
And that didn't connect with me as a person. I saw that in other people. And it's strange how we can see value in others and neglect to apply that same rule of God values us to ourselves. But I did. And I began to eat less and less. In middle school, I started eating very, very little. You could see my rib bones through my skin. You could see that my elbows were the biggest part of my arm when I was cheerleading. Uh, I was really thin. And then my parents threatened to take me to a therapist. So I hit it better. And I pretended I was fine. And I would put, you know, laxatives and things like that inside of my teddy bear stuffing so they couldn't find it. And they were really good parents. It's just, I was, you know, eating disordered people are very clever at hiding their disorder. And um, I continued this behavior all the way up until college when I was really doing a lot of negative self-destructive behaviors to try to be accepted and um, ended up being pregnant. And I wanted to protect my child more than I sought my own need for acceptance. And that was when that starvation behavior stopped. And I actually gained a ton of weight because when you starve yourself for eight years and then you start to eat normally, your metabolism isn't there. So it took a long time to get that corrected. But after a while, after I really sought with God and on my own was doing a lot of work, I became aware that, you know, God was my center of significance, not other people. He was enough for me to define who I was. And then later I became a therapist. And when women would come into my office over and over again, every woman and actually most of the men too, would come into the office with these same feelings, low self-worth of desiring purpose, but not being able to find it, of feeling as though they're not good enough, having low self-esteem. And these big shame issues were just consistently coming into my office over and over and over again, as if it is probably the most prominent human issue that I have seen as a therapist. And I thought, this isn't just me. Everyone struggles with this. So that's why I decided that the Lord was leading me to write something and get further with that message of, of helping people overcome those shame lines because the enemy loves to destroy who we are in Christ. It keeps us from becoming what Christ can help us to become and sharing his message through us in the most powerful way. And, and then the enemy wins when he gets us paralyzed with shame. So. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, so much there. I have so many questions. <laughs> oh, me, me too. Tina, I'm wondering if you if you have noticed where you think that um, maybe what the first seed of the enemy was or whatever the first lie it was that caused you to, to, th- to think you weren't likable as a, as a child or whatever it was. Can you, do you remember what that was like? I'm just, I'm curious about that. I think it calls to our attention every negative and gives us an interpretation for it. And the lies usually have a little element of truth in them. That makes them very powerful. Just like any illusion or any lie, if it has a little truth, then it's so much easier to swallow and believe. So he'll point out when someone rejects you and then give you an interpretation and say, that means you're not lovable, that you're not good. doesn't have anything to do with this other person, which really it does have something to do with the person who rejects you. They're rejecting you because of their own self-image, their own insecurity and need to be powerful. They choose to reject you based on something that's wounded in them, not because of you. But you don't see that because the enemy tricks you into believing this is all about you. And very rarely is anything on this earth only about you. I could not agree more with that. <laughs> that is a, a summation of my life struggles, <laughs> making it all about me. Oh my goodness. That hit home. Um, yeah. And so, and then we hear those lies and that just becomes like the story we tell ourselves over and over again. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. We take that, we take that enemy voice and we make it our own voice. So we don't recognize that it's the enemy and it's easier for us to believe it if we think it's us. Yeah, it's the script that plays and then we apply it to new situations and let it build and build and build and build and build. So I'm also curious, Tina, like the, 
the eating disorder behaviors that started presenting for you like in middle school, did did you have friends that were engaging in those kind of behaviors? Like where did, how did you know to do that? Like where did that come from? Do you know? Media images about women needing to be emaciated in their appearance was where I got the idea that I needed to be thin. And that has been around for quite a long time. Uh, yes. That is something that was, I mean, for me, that was back in the 80s that I was seeing those images. And we've since started to adopt some acceptance of curvy figures and more feminine looking people instead of skeletons. But in the 80s, that was just the prominent, if you're not so thin, you're about to die, then you're not good enough uh, image in, in modeling, in magazines and every store everywhere. It was just always in our face. And I think it still is to some degree pressure to be thinner, to be a certain size or shape. Mm -hmm. So um, believing that that was the image of what was acceptable was there. And that was strong enough that I didn't really need to have other kids. Like I said, I was so isolated from other kids that that probably wouldn't have been an area of influence. Although I know for some girls, for some teens, it does happen that way. Yeah. yeah. Did you have anybody that you kind of confided in while you were going through it? Or was it yours alone and your secret? And Nobody knew. Yeah. My parents didn't know. Um, I still don't think they knew about me walking to the gas station and buying laxatives and putting them in my pocket and throwing the packaging away at the gas station and bringing them home and stuffing them into the teddy bear. I don't think they ever knew about that. So, and to, not to fault them because who would know, who would yeah. know to think about looking for something like that? So. Yeah. Wow. I definitely I'll relate to the, uh, the magazines and media images. I had the same um, kind of background, even a few years later. Um, I, I think it's still the same, like media is still giving that mm -hmm. messaging to um to our, to our kids, to our women, to our adults, to everybody. <laughs> and and you know what I, what I think is kind of tricky now is that in the, in the past, like you would see these women on magazines or maybe you'd see them in movies or like maybe interviewed on a morning talk show or something. But, but now it's like, there's these beautifully curated Instagram feeds. There's all these things to to emulate like that this is this person's real life and you know them and they're just normal everyday average people that have this elaborate beautiful you know life that comes from their body image and um so I feel like it's like this tricky way of making people think like this is this is like normal life um, I feel like there used to be a little bit more separation. Yeah, make, and always in your face too. Like kids yeah. now are on their phone all day, all yeah. day. We never used to be on media all day long. If you had a magazine, you'd look at it for a little while, but you wouldn't have it right in your face all day, every day and into the night at nighttime. So yeah. it's it's a barrage of pressure to be perfect and to conform and to look a certain way and to be a certain way and to be on all the time because kids are also on filming themselves, selfieing themselves all the time. So there's that, I need to post pictures of being perfect as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm really curious where your relationship with God was in your eating disorder? Was it something that was separate from him? Was it something you included him in on? I don't think I included him in on the wanting to be thin piece. It was like, that was a separate little piece that I didn't realize I was separating, but I was still connecting. I was still praying, with, but there were these other pieces of my life that I wasn't including him in. The seeking approval from other people, obviously that was idolatry. So I wasn't including God in that, even though I didn't realize it was idolatry, but it had become almost, you know, like that addictive behavior of wanting so badly to be accepted that you wanted it as much as you wanted air and you do just about anything to feel like other people would maybe pretend they liked you even for a couple of hours. Yeah. So can we, can we circle back to 
the the beautiful, complicated, <laughs> I imagine, event of your pregnancy that got you to pull out of your restrictive eating behaviors. What what was that like to to be pulled out of that? Well, it pulled me out of the behavior because I was concerned about the baby's health, but it didn't pull me out of the obsessive thinking about needing to be thin. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a magic wand or anything like that. There's still that obsessive compulsive. I need to look a certain way, even though I was obviously gaining a lot of weight. I gained a ton of weight when I was pregnant with my first child because of that metabolism shift not happening right away. And, um, going through that was really hard. And then after having the baby and realizing, Oh, all of that isn't going to go away. Right. Overnight. That's still there. Oh, I didn't realize that was going to happen because I was young. I was 22. So I thought, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know any better and, uh, realizing, Oh, I, I didn't intend to ever be a or whatever it was. And, and going from being underweight to being overweight and meet, you know, in less than a year was really hard on self-esteem and the body image issues were still there. And dealing with that was really hard. Yeah. How did you cope with that at that time? There was a lot of, um, angst, <laughs> anguish and, um, struggle with that and trying to hide under whatever I could put over it. (laughs) um, We didn't have a lot of money. So going out and buying clothes that looked good was really hard. And so it was, it was tough. It was really tough. And that was also the moment when I was trying to really turn my life more toward God after making really self-destructive choices for the past few years during college I was really trying to get back right because I have this baby that I want to raise correctly and I feel responsible for that. And I know that it's time to really get myself back centered where I'm not seeking approval. And that's kind of, there was a big shift there. So that was helpful because I was paying attention to the right things instead of focusing more on the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Did you ever seek um, like eating disorder treatment or counseling or as much as I would recommend that to other people, I did not. Um, it just, I had had an assault happen in college and I went to the campus counseling center and it didn't go well at all. Mm -hmm. So I was a little averse to doing that anyway, plus being really secretive as someone with a body image issue with a eating disorder mindset, you guys know how secretive that is and how guarded people are when they come from that background of thinking that way. I have to keep this a secret. I have to keep this a secret. So no, I did not. But knowing what it was like to get bad counseling helped me not offer bad counseling later. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, so. Was that part of what made you decide to want to become a therapist? Partly wanting to do what what I didn't get. Yeah, that was part of the motivation to want to be good at it and to not be um, thinking about people. You know, you don't want to think about people as um, your class project. <laughs> and it's kind of what people, and I don't fault that, that student counselor for doing, a, you know, what to yeah. me was a bad experience. It's just, they weren't experienced enough to know how to do well. So, yeah. So were you initially studying psychology and in, in college or what were you initially going to college for? I was originally, I was going to be an international corporate lawyer, but that's not what God decided I was going to do. And then in college, I shifted when I realized someone had told me, my dad had said, all of his clients that were lawyers were saying there was no job market for lawyers out there. There's too many. And I thought, well, I'm not going to go be really aggressive and competitive and try to get into this field that there's already too many people and there's no need for it. They're already there. So why don't I do something I just really, really like? So I did something really foolish. I went into creative writing, which didn't teach me how to do writing for publication. (laughs) So it was kind of a worthless degree. Um, I thought it would be great because I like doing it and they say, do what you love and then find a way to make money. And that really isn't the wisest thing to do. You need to make sure you 
are gearing yourself for a degree that's actually practical and useful. So I didn't go into counseling until much later. Um, the Lord called me to write and I was trying to write a children's book and I put that aside. And then later I came back and circled back toward feeling as though I was led to get a master's degree in something and then praying about that and then applying to two different places, one for psychology and one for English for more writing and more teaching of English kind of areas of career. And I was just led by the dean of the English department that was going to accept me to enter this counseling program that I'd never heard of before. So God kind of just directed me for that. Wow. I just like in awe at the way God works. Good. He's always good. Oh my gosh. Well, tell us about since, I mean, this calling to write eventually resulted in writing. So can you tell us about some of the, the things you've written on? And especially well, my, the book. My book, Beautiful Warrior, is a very difficult, it was a very difficult journey of writing that personal story, but adding some clinical pieces to it because I wanted it to be practical. And it was a tough book to write. And I had been writing for years and years and years. And some of the pieces of that book came from another book that I was trying to write before that no one would publish. And I repurposed some of that material and repackaged it. So after, you know, at least a dozen years of working on it, I finally got a contract on this particular book. Although I have a mausoleum of manuscripts, I like to call it, of other <laughs> things that aren't published that are fiction and nonfiction. And, and um, I also write devotionals um, for writers because it's so very hard to write and to stay focused on it and to not give up and not get discouraged. So we have Inspirations Online, which is my online publication, a weekly devotional by writers for writers. It's mostly other writers. I write one a month and the rest of the weekly devotionals are by other writers and it gives them a chance to get publishing credit and we get a shared platform. And we also encourage each other by centering on scripture at the beginning of each writing week. So that was important to me to kind of provide that as just a free service for writers. And so I do write devotionals mm -hmm. and I love writing speculative fiction, fantasy, and all kinds of things like that. But not the thing that God directed me to get published in first. It was this nonfiction, beautiful warrior finding victory over the lies formed against you, that personal, difficult, dipping the pen into the inkwell of my heart and pouring the blood onto the page in letters. Wow. So that was a rough, rough thing. And I needed a friend to edit it. So I, I hired somebody that I knew that was a best-selling author to edit the book for me because it's hard to write a personal book. So anyone who's thinking of doing that, I do encourage you to get a writer's community around you to support yes. you. Yeah. Get an editor, a professional editor that can do a good job, that can be objective on a subjective point story. So I totally agree. And I'm just, since we both have uh, eating disorder and writing kind of tracks that the Lord, the Lord has. I just love that connection that we have, Tina. And I just think that it's really common and I would like to highlight it and encourage anybody to, I mean, taking your story and your healing, even when it's not a hundred percent there, like sharing your mess, as they say, turn your mess into your message. Like that is probably at least for me on the receiving end, one of the most powerful ways I connect with God when I see him his hand and somebody's story. And especially when you have similarities in your story and you can relate to the other person's life, it's just such powerful, um, powerful testimony. And I think it's so important to um, encourage a lot of the women that we have um, listening and in our community have, have noticed this opening in their life that comes when you begin to move away from being obsessed with body image, your mind and your life kind of opens up to the possibility of uh, other things in life, creative pursuits or a calling or whatever that is. So could you, could you share anything that you experienced in, um, transitioning from, um, the eating disorder behavior, the body image obsession kind of thing, and then the healing and how that turned into kind of a message that you now carry and share, uh, for the glory of God. 
Well, first I want to focus on the fact that it is a continual journey. It's not a, I'm over it. I'm done with it. I'm great. I am a saint. I never struggle with this again. And I probably never will for the rest of my life. I don't want anybody to get the perception that this is an easy one and done thing. However, anything that requires us to constantly lean on God is a beautiful, joy-filled journey. It's an adventure hand in hand with the one who loves us the very most. So the idea is learning to focus more on him every day, eating that manna from him every day, depending upon him every day to center us. Because if we ever begin to think we can do it on our own, we're going to veer off that path that's best for us. And the best place is always right by his side and leaning into him. So that is the most important thing, knowing that this is a journey that you take together with God and you always depend on him to keep you centered. So the transition from being fully focused on self to fully focused or as fully as you can with his help, be focused on him being the center of your reason for being, your purpose, your worth, your identity is what is really going to fulfill our sense of identity and purpose and significance all together. So the days when you can stay focused on him are the days when he can pour into and through you. And that is a joyful experience to feel the spirit flowing through you in the areas you were created as a vessel to share from. And he takes these things that have been pain points because the enemy knows what God is planning to do in your life. He knows that you are important to God and that God is going to use you. So he will attack you in your area of gifting, whatever that is. If it's health and wellness, he's going to attack you there. If it is mental wellness, he's going to attack you there. If it is identity, he's going to attack you there. So whatever that is, if it's encouragement, if you're an encourager like I am, he's going to hit you really hard with discouragement because he doesn't want you to fulfill being who God calls you to be. And he doesn't want to see that all you have to do is center on Jesus. And he's the one that does all the hard work of fulfilling who you are. We can't do that. Even though he's gifted us, even though he's crafted us, becoming who he wants us to be is all centered on focusing our hearts and our mindsets and our dependency on Jesus every day and making it all about him. And that's where I got off track and where I could at any moment get off track is when I make it about me, then I'm in trouble because I'm making it about the wrong thing. And I cannot sustain being the God of my life. I cannot sustain trying to be the savior or the God of anything else around me. So if I make it about me, that's exactly what I'm trying to do, even though I don't consciously know that that's what I'm doing in the moment. Obviously, Satan likes to keep that kind of on the down low. He wants to make sure that that's more of an insidious plan, that we don't realize that we're serving him by denying our identity being centered in Christ. We realized what he was doing and that we were complicit with him in it. We'd stop immediately. So he wants to deceive us into it so we don't know exactly what we're doing. But he's leading us always to focus on something besides God. That is his whole purpose, to pull us out of that relationship with God and break God's heart. That's what he wants us to do. And God is just saying, just trust me. Just be in relationship with me. That's all about God, all about him. And he's got the power. He's the one that makes these things happen. I cannot write a book without his help. That's worth writing. If he's going to write a book for me, he's got to do the good part of of filling me with the words and giving me the ability to write the right things and to infuse it with a message that's meaningful. Otherwise, there's no point in producing paper that doesn't impact anyone's life. It doesn't do any good. There's plenty of paper out there that leads people astray. I could add to that. I could add lots to that. But if I'm not doing it with God's help and depending on him, then what am I doing? Why am I even doing it? So good. Yeah, we we talk about it being an ongoing journey, a daily surrender, a daily walk. Um, And that's 
at least for both of our experiences, that was what uh, it felt like to come out of disordered eating and learn a right relationship with the Lord and then a right relationship with our, our health and wellness and our body and how we approach food. Um, <laughs> so what's some encouragement for sustaining and enduring this ongoing journey? I think that can feel like a, a daunting prospect to somebody who's ready for healing, but maybe is um, afraid of the ongoing nature of this and it's never done and that's okay. And we're, we're telling you that's okay, but what's, since you're an encourager, Tina, what's some encouragement for uh, sustaining us on that journey? Well, if you look at something as an ongoing travail, an ongoing labor, an ongoing work, instead of looking at it as an adventure, as a vacation, as a world-class trip that's going to be the best thing you experience in your life with your very best friend, with the person who loves you the most and is like the wealthiest, most wise, most powerful being in all the universe who's willing to lavish all of that on you every moment of this journey, then yeah, that would kind of be less than exciting. But if you look at it the way that I just described it, is that a bad thing? I don't think so. But looking at it from the way the enemy wants to color it with darkness and negativity, that would be a journey with him, not a journey with God. If we're really taking this journey with Jesus Christ, who would give even every inch of his life and all of his suffering to redeem us into living forever with God in heaven, then how amazing is a daily journey with someone who loves you that much? Oh, so beautiful. I love what a powerful perspective shift that is. Thank you. Wow. I just have so many wows of this whole thing. I can't even, I'm sitting here with tears in my eyes, like trying to pull it together. Um, Wow. I just want to come back to the enemy is going to attack you and your gifting. Oh. Yes. Oh my goodness. I just like, I want to make sure that everybody heard that because he's going to try and make you doubt your gifting. He's going to do everything he can to prevent you from walking and living out um, the blessings and the gifts and the abilities that God has given you. And um, he can do that by you know, you thinking it's your voice that's saying all of those things like you talked about before, Tina. And um, we, don't, we don't have to listen to that voice and, and we get to listen to the Lord. So I just think, you know, all the ladies listening and even, you know, even for you to say like that you got this worthless degree, I want to challenge that a little bit because um, I can see how the Lord is using that and um, that that there was a reason, um, you know, why, why you did that. Or even if that, if it wasn't like God is using it for a purpose. Um, and so I just want to, you know, encourage like each and every one of us, like we know what God has gifted us in. Like if you have spent the time praying and surrendering your life and, asking God to use you, like there's something in your heart that, you know, he is calling you to. And if, if you're hearing all, all these doubts or believing all these things that you can't do it, or you're not good enough, or, you know, what, whatever those things are, that's the enemy. You know what that gifting is. And I just want to encourage you, you know, if you, if you're at that place that, stepping out of obsessing over our body image or moving away from disordered eating is opening up some space in your life. Think about what that gifting is and how can you fill that space with that gifting? It is a joy to share this message of intuitive eating for Christian women with you. Charlie and I have so much fun creating podcast episodes and resources to teach you the principles of intuitive eating, specifically through a biblical lens. And the reality is it costs us something to put out this podcast. We can't spread this message of revival without the help of women like you. 
If you find value in what we're creating, would you prayerfully consider supporting the podcast by becoming a monthly member? For $10 a month, you can support Intuitive Eating for Christian Women by joining our membership program. In the membership program, you'll get access to our members-only resource library, which includes the Health at Every Size book club resources, including 12 weeks of content. And you get an invite to our exclusive brand new members-only monthly coffee dates. These are monthly Zoom calls where we pray together and share our intuitive eating journeys with Jesus. These coffee dates are for you if you're looking for more interaction, fellowship, and accountability. You can check out all the details on becoming a monthly member by visiting our podcast website, intuitiveeatingforchristianwomen.com slash support. That's intuitiveeatingforchristianwomen.com slash support. Now back to the episode. It's probably where your most intense pain point is that is your gifting because the enemy attacks you hardest there, but God can use your pain points and make them into something that you connect with other people who have those same pain points. It makes you relevant to those people and it gives you a position of leveraging them up to someone else needs you to get to the other side of this pit. Someone else is waiting for you to be the person they can relate to that will help them up. Your journey of healing is not just about you. Yes. Right. And that's exactly what you were just saying. You know, when I, when I make this about me, that's when I really get off track. Um, You know, I will say God has shown me continuously in my life that there's been so many things that I have gone through that just seem absolutely awful. And he probably, and I, I made choices that I know he wouldn't have wished me to make. Um, But I have watched him use those things for good, use those things to help other people, um, use those things for me to be able to relate to people and counseling, just so many things. Um, And he, he continues, he continues to do that. That's just something that God has given me the gift of seeing how he uses these things in my life Um, to the point that, you know, a year, year and a half ago, I experienced something that was like so devastating in the moment. And so could have just been so damaging. And I remember feeling that and then instantly feeling like, oh my gosh, God, this is such a gift because you're going to use this. Like this feels awful. And this is not like the way I would have wanted the answer to these prayers, but I can see that it's an answer to prayer and I can see you're going to do something. I'm so excited to see what you do with this awful thing. Um, And that's such a gift. That's such a beautiful gift um, to know that God works through those things. He works through the pain points, the the nitty gritty. um, If you just, if you surrender and, um, kind of keeping track of how he has worked in your life and whatever that looks like for you can really be an encouragement when you are going through some sort of healing journey to remember how he has worked and how he has shown up. Yeah, I totally agree. The, another way I've heard the, it's not about you thing that really resonated. um, That's just echoing what we've, we've been saying here is like the fruit is not for you. Yeah. Like you feed mm-hmm. other people with the fruit. I can't, I wish I could remember if I figure out where I heard that, I'll put it in the show notes, <laughs> but, um, oh my goodness. Like just that taking your eyes off yourself, um, and putting them on God. I mean, that this is where the fix your eyes on Jesus thing. Like, this is what we're talking about <laughs> when we say that. And I still need to hear it said 10 different ways, probably five times a day. <laughs> because um oh it's so easy to get distracted or start looking at something else and then that can kind of take us down the wrong path like you were saying tina i know uh comparison um has been something you have have learned on in your life and the lord has taught you about could you share a little bit on that yes absolutely 
Comparison gets us to focus again on that humanistic outlook instead of that God-centered outlook. We're trying to be somebody else and God already created them. He created you to be you, not to be them. So when you're trying to focus all of your energy on being something you're not, you are not becoming who you are meant to be. You're failing at becoming something you were never meant to be. So you feel this sense of shame and failure, but at the same time, you're really not becoming who God called you to be, which you could be if you just turn your focus on him and submitted to that process of being who he really called you to be instead of focusing on that other person. I've heard it said as stay in your lane when you're in sports and I'm not, so sports analogies are really rough for me because I'm not a sportsy person, but in sports, they do tell people, stay in your lane. Don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. And the reason is just like when you're driving, if you look to one side or to the other side, your car or your body, if you're running or swimming will veer in that direction, which means you're turning off path. You're not headed toward the goal anymore. You're not headed toward the fish finish line. You're not staying in your car's lane, you are veering toward danger. You could have an accident and you certainly aren't going to be able to perform your best if you're veering off track. Mm -hmm. So staying in your lane means that God can fulfill what he created you as a vessel to pour through. If you are a pour through vessel and you are made to have oil pouring through you, and you're an anointing vessel, and you're trying to put water in, water is not going to work in an oil vessel as well. It's not going to pour the same. It's not going to function the same. And the people who need the oil will not get the oil because the oil vessel is trying to pour water. Yeah. I love that. Stay in your lane has been hitting me like once or twice a week for the last two weeks. So <laughs> thank you for using those words. I, I hear, I hear you. <laughs> oh goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about something that I think um, is going to bring us back to the enemy voice kind of thing coming up again. The difference between shame and voices of shame that we hear and then the feeling of conviction and like what are some what are some things that we are misunderstanding here that's keeping us stuck because i i think i need to hear this personally today well just like that human approval we are created with a need for approval so that's god's gift that he gives us his approval that's why we crave it so much so that need for human approval getting Hold off track is the enemy's counterfeit of what God gives us. God gives us a gift of conviction, which is like a spiritual nervous system. It's meant to protect us from self-harm, from damaging people around us and thereby causing harm to who we were meant to be and not being who we were supposed to be. All kinds of damage to the kingdom and to ourselves can happen if we don't have that spiritual nervous system of conviction to help us make better choices. But God's gift of conviction is positive. It's constructive. It's forward moving. It's just like when your physical nervous system will tell you when something is hurting you and tell you, stop that. It hurts. You're causing damage. So if you were in in the kitchen and you put your hand on the hot stove, what does your physical nervous system tell you? Oh, stop it stop it, pull your hand away, stop it right now. Now, if you were not using your physical nervous system properly and you were obeying the laws of shame instead of conviction, you might go, oh, I deserve this pain. I think I will leave my hand here until I sear my fingerprints off because I so deserve to have the woundedness of this hot stove. And then when you finally remove your hand, you say, I will will just drop to the middle of the floor And stay here because I deserve to be in pain and I will never use this hand again. Now, that would be ridiculous. And that's obviously an exaggeration, but that's similar to what we do with shame. Shame is paralyzing. It never moves us forward. It holds us back and gets us to focus only on what we've done wrong and what we're doing wrong and that we are wrong. Mm -hmm. 
and we don't deserve what we don't deserve. Mm -hmm. And it gets us to do more self-destructive behavior out of that. I'm trying to satisfy this need to self-destruct or this need to indulge myself, but not move. Mm -hmm. So God's gift of conviction will say, remove your hand from the thing that is toxic. Heal your hand, run it under some water. And then don't touch the hot stove again, but use your healed hand to do the right things from now on. That's conviction. Conviction is heal, shift, and move forward in the better direction. Shame is you are bad, hold you back, keep you separated from God. Don't look at your identity in Christ. Look at what you have done to define who you are. God's conviction says, this is what I'm doing to shape who you are, Mm -hmm. what God is doing to shape who you are, because there's no condemnation in Romans. It says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That means that Christ has already done the work of transforming who we are and where we are positioned with God from now forward. We can walk in that identity or we can walk in contradiction to that identity or sit still in contradiction to that identity, which is what the enemy really wants us to do. He either wants us to walk away from God or sit still mired in our shame. Mm -hmm. So two things that work together in the enemy's favor are pride, where we're focused on ourselves and doing it all by ourselves. Pride isn't always like that. I'm proud of myself. Pride. Pride can be just being centered on yourself. It can be self-protection against other people. It can be isolating yourself, refusing to do what God wants you to do. It can be rebellion. Pride is focused on self. So is shame. Mm -hmm. Shame is all about me. It's all about what I've done or what I'm doing or what I can't do. It is not about what God calls me to be or who he says I am. If you look at Gideon, I love the story of Gideon because it shows how God calls us according to what he's going to make us become, not according to what we've been or who we even are in the moment he calls us. What God is going to do in and through us, he will reshape us as he pours through us. Mm -hmm. So Gideon, he says, when he meets Gideon, the angel of the Lord comes and meets Gideon. Gideon's hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. You can't thresh wheat in a wine press. So he certainly feels like a failure. He's hiding from the enemy because the enemy has literally come to pillage and steal everything from the Israelites. So he's hiding for good reason. He's terrified. He's down in the wine press pit trying to throw up these little wheat grains, hoping some wind, maybe he's blowing on it to try to thresh the wheat. And it's probably not working because you can't do that unless you're in open air. The angel of the Lord comes and says, hey, almighty warrior. And you could just see Gideon, like, looking around. Who else is here? I can't be talking to me. He says, I am the least member of the lowest clan in all of Israel. And Israel's beaten down as it is. We're being oppressed by the enemy. We don't even have anything left as a nation. And I'm the least person in the whole nation. You must have the wrong guy. You know, (laughs) he's not acting like a mighty warrior. He's not even responding with faith to the presence of the angel. Like God's these passes and he still calls Gideon from where he is in the pit. And when we're in that pit, sometimes God will call us by who he sees us to be, not by how we see ourselves, not by anything we could do on our own strength, but what he is planning to do in and through us that has nothing to do with who we are, where we've been, or what we can do on our own. I love it. (laughs) <laughs> how how it's about who he sees us to be, not how we see ourselves. I love that. That's so, uh, so, that can be such a difference too. I mean, how do we start to see ourselves the way God sees us? What, what has worked for you? I need to constantly be praying and in scripture and not just praying by saying stuff to God, which is important because he wants us to speak our heart and pour everything out, but he also wants us to listen for his voice. And knowing who he is so you know that it's his voice and not the enemy's voice is by getting to know him through scripture and obeying him when you do hear his voice, so you hear it more clearly. And as you obey, you hear it more and more clearly. And sometimes he will say things that would just 
not be anything you would have thought of saying, not be anything you would have thought of thinking. Uh, and, you know, like if you're in conflict, one time I was in conflict and he said, so do you love this person? And I have to think, well, yes, you love them. So I love them. And then he said, well, then look at the situation from my perspective and from a heart of love, the way you say you love this person instead of how offended you are. So he will say things that aren't necessarily what you would have come up with on your own. And if you learn to listen, you'll listen to what he says about how he loves you. If you look at 1 Corinthians 13 on how to love yourself, not just how to love other people, scripture says the most important scripture is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then Jesus said the second most important commandment is like it. It's related to it. It comes from it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you don't receive God's love and love yourself, you don't receive God's love enough to love your neighbor. So the purpose of receiving God's love for yourself is so you can better love your neighbor. It's a flow. It's not just taking in to keep and hold. It's not giving out from something empty. It's a flow into you and through you to other people. As you receive God's love, as you know who he is, he is perfect. He is pure in his love. He is not there to take advantage of you. He's not there to hurt you. You don't have to be afraid of anything in that love of God. And getting past, sometimes people are wounded enough that they have to get past some ways that human beings have not been like God in authority in their lives. And they have not shown a love they could trust. And understanding God is not like that. And recognizing the difference and being in relationship with him means spending time with him so that you can hear that and you can get to know him and get to trust him more. So go for a walk with him. That's something I used to do as a kid that I like to still do sometimes and just reach out next to you like you would for someone really walking with you and grab where you feel like God is, like you're grabbing someone's hand and physically hold God's hand and Walk with him in your mind, probably not out loud, because if someone sees you, they might think they need to commit you somewhere. You don't want to have that happen, <laughs> but just, or they might think you're on Bluetooth, so it might not matter now. So, but, you know, talking to God just in prayer and listening for him to point things out to you, because as you're walking with him, like you walk with a friend, he'll say, look, look at that glimmer of sunlight on that flower. I'm showing that to you because that's my gift for you in this moment right now. And just being present with God in the moment and seeing the beauty in creation can connect with how much God treasures you as part of his creation, not at the same level as a flower, though. He has elevated you as his daughter, his beloved daughter, his princess, and he cherishes you and he walks with you and he's given you all of this creation as a gift. He created this beauty for us to dwell in. So taking walks with God is a really great way to do that. Spending time in prayer with him every day, as often as possible, just reflecting your thoughts to him, letting him kind of guide your thought processes about yourself, about your circumstances, about what you want and desire most, about who is most important in your life, making sure that he is first and that you understand the other people in your life he cares about them enough that you don't have to worry over them mm. and letting all those thoughts and all those feelings just constantly be in that relationship, getting all of that into that relationship. So you're open with him. If you look at the Psalms, David was a man after God's own heart because he shared his whole heart with God. Good, bad, really ugly. He shared it all with God. David was not perfect, but he was a man after God's own heart because he poured it all out into God's hands. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. I don't know why at some point I had to connect with David's story to realize like, yes, he wants all of it. There's not, you know, just, it's not just the pretty parts and it's not just like the nice <laughs> prayers. I think I should be praying. It's all of it. And, mm -hmm. um, that's so freeing. And the relationship intimacy is just so much deeper and more fulfilling when you're not having separate parts. It's just all of, all of him, all of me. It's, I love the walking 
with God too, by the way, Tina, I do that. And I have thought, I haven't actually reached my hand out, but I mentally imagine Jesus walking next to me a lot of the times, but you've encouraged me. I, I think I'm going to try that. Um, I, I cannot recommend that enough. I think it's so, um, so powerful to be outdoors and connecting with God as you move, as you connect with creation. And it's just, uh, ooh. Personally, that is one of my favorite ways to to be with the Lord. <laughs> so I, I always feel really validated when somebody else agrees with that. <laughs> Even though, you know, everybody needs to do whatever their personal, however you connect with the Lord is fine. I'm not saying you have to only go on walks, but um, my goodness, try it if you haven't. It's amazing. <laughs> so good. So, so good. Mm. Um, okay. I think we're going to, have you share uh, a little bit more, Tina, about where people can connect with you online and um, one more time about Beautiful Warrior, because I want I want to make sure everybody knows that book um, is out there. Absolutely. People can find everything that I have on my website, and it's pretty simple. It's Tina Yeager, Y-E-A-G-E-R.com. And everything, Flourishment, my podcast is there, um, my uh, my n- upcoming courses are going to be there. Beautiful Warrior, Finding Victory Over the Lies Formed Against You, which is spiritual, personal, and clinical. It's a guide to help you walk out your purpose and identity in Christ and find freedom in that and being able to connect with sister warriors so that you're not in this alone. We don't need to feel alone in this. And that was one of the main reasons I wanted to reach out with this book so women didn't have to feel they were struggling with identity and self-esteem and and self-image all by themselves because we all struggle with this. And, and God is there to help us through it. He's also there to help us get together and support one another through this journey. So there's that. And then you can also find if you happen to think about writing and you need some encouragement, inspirations, it's not inspirations, it's inspirations online and inspirationsonline.com. You can find that if you need some encouragement or if you'd like to submit, you can do that too. So those are the places you can find me online. I'm also on all the social media channels, YouTube channel, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of those good places, Pinterest. So We will link everything in the show notes too. So everybody can, can connect with Tina. Now, before we go, we have some fun little wrap up questions that <laughs> just are for the enjoyment of it. And we always start with asking uh, our guests coffee or tea and how do you take it? Mm. Well, coffee in the morning, tea at night. So I guess both and my coffee, I'm a little bit of a coffee snob. I take it as a latte with frost soy milk. So um, that's my little coffee snob thing. And then my chai tea that I like to have is decaf at night. And I put um, true whipped whipped cream on top of it and cinnamon powder on it. So love that. That's my little dessert. So that sounds lovely. <laughs> We're both coffee in the morning, tea the rest of the day, people. <laughs> cool. It's funny. Um, okay. So it's mild weather, like 65, 70 degrees. And you have the day to yourself. Do you spend it inside doing something or do you spend it outside doing something? Hmm. It depends on what I feel like God is telling me to do that day. I know that's kind of a cop-out sort of sounding answer, but it really is. Because some days I really like to go for a walk outside, but I have to get something done. So I would really, my preference if it's really nice out is to go for a walk in the mountains. We just moved to North Carolina. And so I'm still really romantically um, infatuated going to the mountains, which are, are like a couple hours away from where I live now. So yeah, that would be the ideal is to go waterfall hunting. Uh, born and raised in Utah and my heart loves mountains. And now I live where they call Hills Mountains and it makes me so bad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my next question was your favorite place to walk and you already, oh, already said that. Yeah. Waterfall hunting, go find the waterfall, That's but not, it. not like rugged hiking. Cause I'm not camping. I'm just like walking to the waterfall, like a wimp and then walking back to my car. 
Yeah. So. Um, your your go to snack right now. Hmm. Right now, I think there's these multigrain chips at Food Should Taste Good is the company that makes them, and I put like goat cheese on them and melt it in the microwave. The little chopped up tomatoes. So it's kind of like nachos, only it's goat cheese nachos. Kind of like my evening snack that I'm loving right now. That sounds good. Sounds so good. Sometimes, like if I'm really trying to get a project done, there's a snack that I like in the afternoon where I'll take raw almonds and dark cocoa powder and agave syrup and unsweetened coconut flakes. And I'll heat the heat the little bit of coconut oil up so that it mixes together. And it makes this really wonderful, rich, chocolatey, high energy snack. And I can put flax seeds in it too. So it's like a brain food, but it tastes really fudgy and chocolatey. <laughs> yeah. So I love that too. I am loving these snack ideas. You're making uh, me hungry. <laughs> your snack game is on point. Yes, it is. Yes. And I was thinking, oh, I miss goat cheese. Um, so I'm pregnant. And so like, you know, I try not to eat soft cheeses. And uh, what if I microwave it? Then it would be <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very Is good that for like bacteria reasons. Why you can't? Yeah, it's like listeria, right? So for anybody out there, listeria, you can handle it fine, but it can cross the placenta. Not good for baby. Okay. Um, this one might take you a second, but like your newest discovery or life hack or like something in your life that you've been like, wow, this is good. Mm-hmm. For instance, mine is the Instapot. I know I'm a latecomer to that, but I just started the Instapot. <laughs> Let's see. I'm all about coming up with new craft ideas right now because that's the book I'm working on. So I am loving going to um, like the upcycling antique kind of shopping thing and then looking at ideas and figuring out how to make them from stuff at Hobby Lobby or things that I have around the house and kind of upcycling things that I might have otherwise thrown away. So right now I'm working on taking labels and making them into a purse by chain linking those folded up little labels. So um, that's the next book I'm working on is, is these crafts, the way God upcycles us and upcycling crafts to go with that message. So that's kind of what I'm working on. Oh, that's but awesome. I, I don't know if that's a hack. I guess it is. Oh, mind blown. Yes. That was totally what I was looking for. So good. Um, okay. And your favorite fictional character, it can be someone you've written or someone from a book, hmm. someone that's not real, but is very real to you. Yes, I could go with Galadriel. You know, I've always loved, I'm very much a fantasy Tolkien lover. So I got to go with Galadriel. If I could be a fiction character, that's who I'd want to be, right? <laughs> so, oh, awesome. I love it. Yeah, I, my dad read those books to me uh, as a kid. So I, I know that character and I get it. <laughs> I love it. I have no idea. I'm in the dark. I'm in the dark. Okay. She's like, she's like an elvish, um, magically powerful elvish queen. Oh, so if you can just kind of imagine, but in a good way. Yeah. So. I love it. That's so exciting. I love it. Thank you. I love these. My, these questions are like my favorite thing. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's just some fun and to, to let, uh, to let the listeners just get to know you on a, on a lighter, on a lighter note. And that's so fun. And then we get to enjoy some, some lightheartedness because that was some really deep and profound and spiritually healing. Um, uh, that was, that was great, Tina. I just, the shame thing, I'm going to be thinking on shame versus conviction for like the rest of the week, probably. So, um, I really, really enjoyed that. So thank you for, for sharing uh, your story and, um, such good teaching too. I really, really appreciate it. And I would love it if you could close us in prayer. Absolutely. I'm honored to do that. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you will lay your hands on Charlie and her family and her new coming baby and on Aaron and her marriage and her family and her, both of them for their ministry to the women who are listening. And I pray, Lord, that you will just breathe into the minds, hearts, and spirits and 
pour the anointing oil of your Holy Spirit upon all of those who are listening. Help them to feel the flowing warmth of your presence, Father God. Oh, precious Holy Spirit, anoint them with healing. Help them to just feel immersed and surrounded and enveloped in your grace, in the truth of your love, and help them to find the hope of the light that is shimmering through that oil of the Holy Spirit, just washing away all the shame and help them to know that that your hope says that each of them, that you listening, you have meaning. I praise you, Jesus, that you can speak that truth, that love, that light, that grace into the hearts of everyone here who is listening now and in the future. And I praise you and thank you, O Holy Spirit, that you can bring healing to all those broken and hurting and painful and fearful places in their lives and help them to know that because of who you are, the purity and love and grace of who you are, the blessing of who you are means that they are worthy, that they are becoming more like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks for listening to today's episode of Intuitive Eating for Christian Women. We hope you were reminded of and redirected to God's love for you. If this episode encouraged you, please take a moment and send it to someone who might need this message so that they can find encouragement too. This podcast was produced by Oh Shoot Productions and made possible by the grace of God and the support of women like you. Thank you for being a part of the Intuitive Eating for Christian Women community. We'll see you in the next episode.